I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Caravan Podcast, a show about Pakistan's startup ecosystem where we have intimate conversations with founders and investors driven to catapult Pakistan into the digital age. We'll discuss what it's really like to start a business, the highs and the lows, the setbacks, the comebacks, the lessons everything. I'm your host, as always, Ahmad Mia, partner at Caravan, a community-driven venture capital platform. Now, given the nascent ecosystem, there's a massive spread between the talent in the country and the resources that are available to support them. Our mission at Caravan is to close that gap by providing both capital and expertise at the earliest of stages. You can find more information about Caravan at www.caravan.vc. In this episode, I sit down with Shahid Mustafa, the CEO of Telenor Microfinance Bank, to discuss the evolution of the fintech space in Pakistan. So without further ado, let's get straight to Shahid. First of all, uh, it will help to understand that uh, where we came, where is that we are coming from when we were thinking of Fizikasa. We launched Tamir Bank in 2005. We had been working like from home in our spare time in 2004. In 2005, September 1st or September 16th, I don't remember, we launched uh, Tamir and uh, we opened two branches in Orangi town and we gave our first loan in Jan 2007. And by uh, early 2000, sorry, Jan 2006, and by the end of Jan, to, uh, December 2006, we had like 20,000 loans outstanding. And not going into the credit and the challenges that we had there, one thing was very clear that each branch on the average could only deal with about four to 5,000 customers. That's the amount of people that the branch could manage coming in. And if even every customer comes once a month to pay the installment to the branch, you have a certain number of footfall every day. And that footfall does not happen uh, uh, equally throughout the day. Nobody comes at 9 a.m. Then all of a sudden, a lot of you show up at 11 then nobody comes from 1 to 3 or 4 p.m. And then a lot of people show up from 4 to 6. So, so we figured out that only about 4,000 is the optimum number that a branch can handle. So if you can do 4,000 in one branch, then we can do uh, 40,000 with 10 branches and 400,000 with 100 branches and 4 million with the, uh, with the 1,000 branches. So, so because of these constraints, very clear that uh, we have to think of a new way of distribution i.e. giving out loans and collecting loans and uh, when Grameen and Brack Bank started out in Bangladesh 20-30 years before we started uh, there was no technology but by the time we came around there was technology so somewhere in 2007 we hit upon the idea that we need to have a mobile platform distribute at that time bulk of the phones were feature phones they were not smartphones so we needed a technology that could work on feature phones and we needed a partner and we figured out that telcos are the right partner because they already have a lot of customers so 
we were in some way, you can say, inspired by M-Pesa of Kenya. But the structure that we evolved to do EasyPesa is quite different from uh, M-Pesa. EasyPesa is quite different from M-Pesa. Uh, we had a structure which was a hierarchical structure. So we had uh, franchisees and then we had agents. And in that way, the franchisees handled the agents. So we were only handling the franchises. So that made it much more efficient, which is not the structure that M-Pesa had. Uh, we launched, as I said, in uh, uh, Telnor came on board in uh, 2007, late, and we launched Easy Pass in 2008, November 2008. And initially, it was obviously slow. I think it took us like 40 days to do the first 500 million rupees of throughput, 40 some days, 46 days. By the time I left uh, in, in February 2019, I think we were doing five, six billion rupees a day of throughput. Uh, initially, the agents who were also the telco agents, they were selling airtime and same, they were very reluctant to do financial services. By the time I left, 60 to 70 percent of the revenue line of any uh, Easy Pesa agent. Came, did not come from the telco business, it came from the financial services business. So it was very, very lucrative. Obviously, when it's very lucrative, it also means that it is expensive. So today, the charges of funds transfer, because it's a duopoly, really, it's easy pesa and jazz cash, the charges are relatively high when you compare it around the world. But that's what happens everywhere that uh, you start something, it's expensive, and then as it becomes more commonplace, other competitors come in, it becomes cheaper. इस पे एक सवाल है आपका एक्चुअली जो बिजनेस जो अभी है इजी पैसा और जैस कैश का इज इट स्टिल वेरी रिलायंट ऑन दोस फीस क्योंकि अब तो विद मोर एंड मोर टेक्नोलॉजी जो एवोल्यूशन आई है हैज इट नॉट बिकम मच चीपर टू बी एबल टू एग्जीक्यूट बिजनेस फ्रॉम अ मोबाइल वॉलेट एंड फ्रॉम बैंक वॉट इज दिंगल बिगेस्ट कॉस्ट फॉर इजी पैसा इट इज नॉट the servers it is not the uh, connectivity it is the commission paid to the agent okay the agent is accepting cash so he runs the risk of uh, the money being stolen he runs the risk of getting fake bills he has to uh, once he is full of cash and his credit on account is low he has to somehow move the cash into his account and from the account move it back into the wallet if the uh, if the agent is up country and he's receiving the remittances and paying cash out he is now out of cash but he's full of credit now he goes he needs to go to a bank and get the money out and on a motorcycle and come back and he may be robbed on the way so initially when we launched it was a rich model because it paid out really good commissions because nobody knew how to do this and nobody would be willing to try to do this if it was just not making any money so that was the right thing to do uh, then over time, state banks started changing laws because at that point in time in the 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 98% of the business was OTC, over the counter. People did not open M wallets. Then we started opening M wallets and state bank came out with the rule that slowly they are going to just completely stop the business on OTC and just limit it to M wallets. So the idea was that people will start opening M wallets. Uh, and at some point in time, we made it cheaper to deal uh, 
with M wallet. So if you if you put the money in the M wallet and then transfer it to somebody else's M wallet, and the other person then takes the money out from the M wallet, the total end-to-end -end cost was lower than if you just went to the agent and did an OTC and somebody took the money on the out on the other end with the OTC. But what does that mean? That means that because the cost is lower, the commissions are lower. So actually the retailers, the agents discourage people to open M wallets because with M wallets, they would make less money. Yeah. Uh, then we equalize the tariffs and the cost and the commission. But again, it takes time for people to unlearn a behavior and, and try something new. Uh, in 2018 and 19, we were putting in a lot more money uh, as incentives than we were earning in Easy Pesa. So Easy Pesa was a net loss-making business. Yes. Jazz did not have that much of a problem because Jazz was still under the legal structure uh, of Jazz Telco. So they could give free airtime and not be charged for it at that time. I don't know what's the case right now, but in the case of Easy Pesa, uh, we were a separate company. We were Telnor Microfinance Bank. We had to buy the airtime from Telnor Telco. And so the cost was very real dollars and cents for us. Uh, I think that with the democratization that will happen with the EMI license that has come out, and we have new players like Naya Pay and Sada Pay and uh, Finja. Finja has been around for some time. Uh, uh, but now they have a license. EMI Naya license. Pay to Uphone is attached, right? No, I don't think so. I think Naya Pay is. Maybe I, I don't know about that. Uh, but anyway, Uphone ka apna ek tha. Uh, Uphone ka apna ek payment channel tha, uh, which was not doing much. So I don't know what they're doing right now. Naya Pay uh, is, and all they, they obviously they have a business model uh, and a plan, and I'm, I'm sure they'll do great things. But the, what you have to understand is that between Easy Pesa and Jazz Cash, there are two 800 pound gorillas in the room which are burning a lot of cash to grow the market as a whole, mm -hmm. coming in and trying to do something uh, of your own will not be cheap and will not be easy. 100%. That said, yeah, please go ahead. Knowing that they're the big guns in the room, what my question was, ke understanding Pakistan financial inclusion to it's very segmented. And now how it has evolved, I still question are people only topping up their accounts in the moment that they're sending these remittances, or has that also evolved where they are now transacting as if you are transacting with an HSBC or with uh, Mizan Bank or uh, it's, it's a learned behavior. Both Jazz and Easy Pesa came out with schemes which would give you free airtime if you kept a certain balance in the account. So if I kept a thousand rupees in my account with Easy Pesa, I would get a certain amount of free airtime every day. The system would go and see if I had an average of thousand rupees in my account in the last 24 hours. And if I did, it would automatically throw 30 minutes of Telnor airtime into my account. So if I was a Telnor SIM holder, that would be great because I would not have to pay for my uh, telco usage. Mm -hmm. So 
jazz did the same thing so i think that the behavior is slowly changing i think this covid 19 thing will also help it change a lot because a lot of shopping is now being done online a lot of i am paying uh, the house help uh, on easy paisa uh, etc etc so what i will say is that it is an evolution and this evolution has been paid for in dollars and cents running into lot of money by by uh, easy paisa and just cash so ab kyunki ab with the new players that are coming on their whole thing is that they're looking at different kind of um subsects like freelancers ho gaya koi aur ho gaya kisi aur like you know they're they're looking for like specific ways because as you said you have the most amount of customers on easy paisa you have alibaba or 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 and financial behind you um and the other guys behind uh, jazz jazz cash ke piche jazz hai mobilink hai so how do you see this fintech space kind of evolving and two actually i have i've always been curious as to what are some legalities of remittances jo ab aa rahi hain aur nahi bhi aa rahi from places like uae um north america europe how how do you see that evolving as well first of all uh, in terms of uh, the new players both jazz and easy paisa when they were building the market they chose to go to the mass market because they figured out that different people will have different uses and so they did not limit themselves to a segment uh now that this thing has been around for some time probably uh defining a segment and coming out with uh a plan which is particularly attractive to that segment may make more sense for the new players because otherwise the costs will be uh very very high if you have a too wide a net so that i agree with that i think that is the way to go now freelancers or youth or college students or farmers or blue collar workers or white collar workers or women all of those things have to be uh, have to be worked out and i'm sure these people are very intelligent people they are figuring these questions out right now as far as remittances is concerned you have to understand there are two kinds of remittances there is the local remittance which is a tikya to tikya and then there is an international remittance. which is some foreign currency which is a dollar or a dirham or a saudi rial to tkr the foreign remittance is a very structured uh, approach which is managed by state bank there are rules regulations licenses and uh, easy paisa had a system whereby people could send money directly to the easy paisa account so if you're working in uh, uae and you go to a uh, money transfer agent the money transfer agent would give you the option to transfer directly to an easy pass account the money will fall into a dollar account converted to rupees and it will be directly credited to the account so that's already there and i think that even the new players will be able to do this like how do you see this fintech space kind of evolving to get more people on board ab ab aap kaise segments dekhne pakistan ki jaisi population jo hai the tiers that we have how so, 
he receives only let's say 98 rupees the 2 rupees that he doesn't receive gets divided into the, uh, the acquiring bank the issuing bank the the card company etc etc and this business has been around for a long time everybody yeah. understands that you go to an atm machine it does not belong to the bank you will pay an extra fee which then goes to one link one link keeps some uh, keeps some of it and some of it goes to the bank Whose ATM you used. Next comes now you have these websites you can buy things on and they allow you to pay by credit card. Again, you pay what you pay is not what the seller gets. There's a discount. But please note that in the case of uh, credit card or debit card purchases, the person who's buying is not paying extra. He's paying exactly the same amount that he would have paid. So the the, the discount which makes the engine run is given by the seller. So one thing is very clear. When you come to payments, uh, it is very difficult for the buyer to pay. Anything. Today I tell you that you can go to the Raj and you can buy this 10,000 rupee, I don't know, TV. But if you pay on a credit card, you will pay 10,500 rupees or if you pay cash and delivery, you only pay 10,000, you will definitely not pay through the card. That's the same thing that shipping is. Like all e-commerce stores, if you free shipping, then you will go somewhere else. Exactly. So you have to see what is the psyche. So in the world, Alipay is the largest payments company by far. Alipay yeah. alone is bigger than, I don't know, PayPal and five, six others put together. Now, one of the things they figured out is that it's very difficult to for the buyer to pay anything for the for the service. The buyer does pay the ATM cost. You're right. If, if uh, I use my debit card, my HBL debit card on a UBL machine, I will pay 70 rupees, 50 pesos or something, of which the actual payment is 15 plus tax. But that is for the convenience. That is my call because I don't have a HBL machine uh, nearby. But other than that, the payment. Now, now we come to the Easy Pesa. Easy Pesa did very well on P2P payments because we were charging the sender only, and the receiver would receive the full funds. So, if I transferred, let's say, twenty thousand rupees, I will pay end up paying twenty thousand three hundred fifty rupees on about that. So that amount is going from me, but that's a P2P payment. But I would not be willing to pay. If I was buying something for 20,000 rupees and another 350 rupees. So, globally, the payments business is a low margin business. Yeah. Easy Pesa had the benefit of high margins when it was in P2P space, but that, that is coming down as well. And when it goes to e commerce, obviously the margins are going to be much lower. So, if you cannot make a lot of money on payments alone, then why do payments? You do payments because payments makes you the customer. Once you have a customer who's using you for payments, 
then you can do other things with the customer. You can sell the customer insurance, you can sell them mm -hmm. a loan, you can do multiple other things. So it is essentially a acquiring vehicle, customer acquiring vehicle. Uh, over time, uh, you you can have multiple things which which uh, you can sell to the customer because you have access to their wallet. The money is in the wallet. You send them a message that okay, you can buy insurance or daily insurance for ten rupees a day. He presses yes. Easy Pesa, I think, was supremely successful, is still successful up till now. Uh, but it, will it remain successful? Remains to be seen if it is able to evolve with the evolving market. Uh, and I think the market is evolving. I think new players are coming in. But one of the big, I won't use the word problem, but one of the big things I notice is that people are went out and got the license or did playing or did the roadshow and looking for series A or whatever, but they have not really crystallized their business plan yet. It's it's a lot of uh, just general thing. Oh, Pakistan's country of 220 million people. We have so many million phones. We have so many this. We only have 20 some percent of banking penetration. Just give me the money and magic will happen. It doesn't happen like that. No. You start seeing faults everywhere. There's a reason why the banking sector only does banking for the time. Because it's a banking sector the banking sector got a free ride with government securities. Why lend money or do anything when you can borrow at a low rate, which is the CASA blended rate and then just put it into either. So lazy money, lazy way of making money. But now that the rates are down, they have come up with something new as well. Another problem with the banking uh, sort of attempts at fintech is that the, the internal stakeholders kill the business rather than the business not being successful from outside. Why do they kill the business? They don't understand it. They feel that it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. And so the internal stakeholder management is very, very difficult in large institutions. So that's what happens there. Uh, I hope that somebody somewhere is able to crack it and is successful. But up until now, uh, I think UBL had the, had the most ambitious plan uh, in their uh, branches banking. And I don't hear a lot about it now, Omni, UBL Omni. So I don't know where it stands anymore. I think right now XPL is doing a few things. Uh, but again, the big issue is internal stakeholder management. The market is out there. If you have a good product and you are consistent and you have a defined target market and you have uh, some benefits that the customer can enjoy, you will eventually build a following. But if internally the stakeholders are not convinced, then for a nascent business, it becomes very difficult. Yeah. What do you think of the different forms of payments? So, you Visa or MasterCard, and the percentage that they take and the one link situation. What do you see that's happening in China, for instance, with QR codes? Do you see that taking place in Pakistan and taking over? Let, uh, let, me, let me clarify a couple of things. HG's had technological solutions. QR code is a technology solution. So, first of all, let's figure out Card catches, wallet catches, bank account catches. 
a card is a technological solution which allows money which is residing in a bank account to move from one bank account to another bank account or allows you to withdraw it from an ATM machine. So where is the storage of value? The storage of value is in the account. A wallet is exactly like a bank account. It is a storage of value, but the regulation is designed not for long-term value storage. It's not like a time deposit. It is designed to facilitate the movement of money. So the bank account is pure storage with some movement fact, uh, functionality like a checkbook, like an ATM card, etc., etc., like a fund transfer. This is the old world of banking. The pure uh, EMI solutions like the new Sada Pe, Nea Pe, they are fundamentally not value storage. They're fundamentally money move, moving uh, channels. The M wallet per se that both Easy Pesa and Jazz have as, as banks, like Jazz has a in-house bank. These are a mix of the two. They, they have value storage as well and they have functions. Now, how do you move the money within those parameters? You have technologies. One technology is a simple uh, OTC. I go to an uh, agent and transfer money. One is a simple fund transfer from my phone. I, I have defined a CNIC number. I throw the money on the CNIC number and somebody can withdraw it or I have an M wallet uh, or I have a bank account and I can do that. Another is a QR code. There are two types of Q, multiple types of QR codes. Some are static, some are dynamic. In China, everything, you cannot pay by cash almost anywhere. And you cannot pay by card almost anywhere except for the big hotels. Everything is on your wallet. If you go on the street and there's a person sitting there and asking for money, he will have a little QR code printed in front of him. He doesn't want your coins. You go and you scan the QR code and the money will go into the account linked to that QR code. Then he takes that piece of paper, walks into a coffee shop, and give the QR code and the shop will scan the QR code, take the money for the coffee and give him the coffee. So that's how China operates. Uh, almost no other country has reached this level of uh, cashlessness yet. Uh, but I think it is quite uh, easy to, uh, to forecast that countries which have lower or less developed financial networks like African countries like Pakistan will eventually move in this direction sooner than uh, let's say America because they already have a more developed system it will be more difficult to dismantle and, and put something like this but I think eventually Pakistan and in India it was helped a lot by the, the demonetization now it's helped a lot by this uh, COVID crisis in Pakistan also, I think COVID crisis is going to be uh, one very important factor in the growth of, of cashless society. Next. So what, what were some of, I mean, this has been great. There's so much learning around the FinTech space. What were some of your learnings? Like what were the three most important lessons that you learned across your journey being in this space? Actually, I think the most important and that this one learning is is 
The first three learning is just one learning. And that learning is you have to have a wow customer experience. I am, I can share with you that I think easy pesa, I'm sure it has a, a very good customer experience by now, but it was a struggle. It didn't happen on its own. It took time. Uh, regulations kept on changing uh, because it was new. Uh, State Bank was learning things. We were learning things. It took us a long time to improve the customer journey. So the single most important thing. So if if the three things which are important add up to a hundred, I think ninety is customer journey. The remaining two are added to our 10. I think the second one I would say is defining what your market is. And the third one would be figuring out what your market wants. Now, customer journey has nothing to do with what products you offer. It has nothing to do with are you going to approach women or college students. It just says that when I go, when I offer my app, the customer, the customer will have a wow experience. It will work like a butter, a hot knife through butter. Um, I signed up on Airbnb and it requires you to send a copy of a ID document. So I sent it in and then it said, okay, please take a selfie and, and when you try to take a selfie, there's a outline of a face. So you have to be at the right distance and then it compares your face to the ID document and it was the whole thing was done in about three minutes and uh, then I had a wow experience so you go you sit in Uber it's a wow experience you sit in cream it's a wow experience only those startups which recognize that customer is king and you have to make sure that customer is treated well will make it anywhere otherwise they're they gone Thank you so much for listening. If you guys have any comments, your feedback, please do send them my way. Mera direct email address hai amad at caravan.vc Warna aap humare baare mein aur information hasil kar sakte hain on our website which is www.caravan.vc or on Instagram. Um, our handle is at caravan.vc Until next time, Khuda Hafiz. 